so-called democracy. What about the rest of America? Where is the rest of America? The rest of America. Let's go find it. Welcome to the rest of America. In this episode, Imran Siddiqui of Justice News speaks with the former mayor of Cranston, Rhode Island, Steve Laffey, to discuss why he announced his candidacy for the 2024 U.S. presidential election. Well, the country is basically bankrupt, and it's not bankrupt 10 years from now or 20 years from now. It's bankrupt today. My family is from Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh was a gigantic industrial city in the, in the country and uh, started outsourcing all the, the steel work out to China and stuff like that. It put thousands of people out of work, and that really hit hard. The thing is, a lot of people know they, they, they're in a wreck right now, and they're trying to calm their nerves down. You ride by and look at some of these beautiful homes at night, uh, you only see one light burning, and that's in the bedroom. A lot of people ain't sleeping at night. We're depending on, we're depending on people that don't care about us. And they're making it more harder for us every year. Re really just kind of destroying the morale of the American people. It's dividing us in two. I'd like to see them live in the lifestyle we're forced to live in for one month and survive the way we do. Laffey is a Harvard Business School graduate and a proven financial expert. He's an American office holder, author, and filmmaker. At the age of 38, he was the youngest president and chief operating officer of a major financial firm. As a mayor of Cranston, Rhode Island, Steve made national headlines several times over the years. Laffey also taught the top finance course at the University of Rhode Island. Now you're running as a U.S. presidential candidate for 2024. So from your vantage point, what do you think is the current immediate challenges in America or for Americans? Yeah, but the, the immediate challenge is, is to fix these financial problems before they overrun America. In other words, when I talk about Social Security, which is a $65 trillion problem, that, that would be the first thing I would fix because one, we are totally destroying people under the age of 40. They will never get Social Security. They're not going to get it. That's me. Anybody listening, real, just realize yeah. that you're, you're not going to get it. I know. Unless I'm the president. I didn't invent this. Larry Kotlikoff, the world-renowned leader in Social Security, it's his plan. He's, he, he, I met him through the movie. <laughs> He's in the movie. We've become great friends. And we disagree on a lot of things. By the way, this is another thing that people should know about me. I have great friends who we disagree and fight like cats and dogs. It should be a YouTube show. <laughs> Larry and I disagree on abortion. We disagree on China. You know, it's, it's totally fine to have friends who you disagree with, right? Yeah. Um, I was always taken aback by the – do you remember when people would like, hey, the big news, if you're going to dinner tonight with people who like Trump at Thanksgiving dinner when he was president, here's what you should say. I'm like, I don't have friends like that. I don't know what they're talking about. Mm. I have friends who say don't like... Say what you want to say. Yeah, we, don't, we still love each other. That's how I grew up. I don't know what's going on in America like this, where people have to broadcast, you know, hate or not hate certain people so you can have Thanksgiving dinner together. I have no idea what they're talking about. So, so in, in this case, in Social Security, 
I wrote a paper in 1983 in college, an economics paper about the bad returns of Social Security. So I've been thinking about it since 1983. And Larry, Larry's program, but let's call it the Laffey way to fix it, is that younger people will be in a brand new system. They'll have 45 years to have their own personal system that they own, but they can't touch. Because you can't have you can't have you can't have it what what the IRAs are like where it gets to be 2008 people are like oh we'll take some money out of your IRA and then we wake up 20 years later and no one has any money can't do that can't do what pe- young people do when they leave jobs because nowadays people don't work at IBM for 30 straight years they leave jobs every year and they cash out of their you know IRAs all the time because they don't make that much money and the penalty's not that big so this has to be a system where you own it so if you die at 40 you get it. Like your ears get it, yeah, you know. But if you make it to sixty something, and we've invested for you in one computer, the worldwide basket of stocks, bonds, real estate, you know, New Zealand, whatever, and now we buy annuities for you or treasury invested, you know, uh, adjusted uh, uh, things. So, you, uh, so you have, at, you know, at the age of seventy or so, whatever age it comes out to be, there's different plans. But now you have an annuity. You all survived. Now you get a lot more money, like five times more money. The way this is going to happen for people if we don't do this or do something like this, but the old people get what we're going to have. Now, think of what happens. It's more expensive at the beginning. But over time, the old people die. The young people have their system. And now we have an unfunded liability of zero. So the markets will know that if we have $200 trillion of unfunded liabilities in America, including a national debt, Laffey just took care of $65 trillion in one fell swoop. It's like what we did with the pension system in Korea, only on a much bigger scale, but not more complicated. Just the same stuff. The pension system that we saved in Cranston was closed, and so people are dying, and so we funded it for the first time in the history of Cranston. And so, even though it wasn't properly funded after I left, it's not broke. And by 2027 in Cranston, right now, more people will be dying, and I'm unfortunately dying. They're just getting old, and then the thing will go away. I've always said, if you want to be the mayor of Cranston around, be the mayor from 2028 on because the cost structure of the pension system will go down rapidly and you won't be able to, you won't have to raise any taxes because uh, that's the way it is. But the same thing for America. We need to tell young people, you should call your dad, you should call your grandpa and say, why did you destroy me? You know, <laughs> like, what are you doing? Why are young people interested in like, you know, arguing over minor things that go on rather than the major things. We got to unite young people to argue we need social security because folks, I'm a conservative guy, but we're not going back to 1880. We're just not. So let's fix it. And that's what I want to do. And so the plan is at stevelaffey.com. It's more complicated than what I said. Um, by the way, the funny part of social security, it's not funny. It's, it's the God awful part of social security is that it's so complicated. People have books to t- ask you when you should take it. Right. Um, by the way, do people know how sexist Social Security is? Does anybody know but me and Larry Kotlikoff? Do you know that, like, let's say a man marries a woman, just to take an example. The man goes out and makes $140,000 a year. The woman has four kids in four years, and he divorces her. She gets none of his Social Security ever. They weren't married for eight years. Under this plan, if you get married and your wife makes 140 and you make 50 you split it. So if you get divorced, which I hope you don't, you split the assets right there, boop, when you get divorced. Again, I'm not planning for divorce. I don't want anybody to get divorced. I was divorced. Um, but that's why I'm running. And I'm also, you know, thinking about uh, why I'm running is, is, so I have a gift for this stuff. Whether I can break through the way Herman Cain did, who became a friend of mine, I don't know. But why wouldn't I try? I, I say this all the time to reporters. There's got to be a thousand better people to become president of the United States than me. They're just not running. I, don't, I mean, of the people running, it's a complete celebrity cr- clown show. I mean, you could watch me on, on Newsmax one morning where the announcer wants to know why I'm not attacking Biden when I'm going after Donald Trump. And I, go, I look at him and I'm like, I'm in a Republican primary. And he sort of looks it back like, oh, yes, because nobody else is doing that, I guess. They're like loving Donald Trump and running against him. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen a crazier thing in my life. By the way, the other thing I tell people is if you go to my website and see real solutions, like really thick solutions yeah. and videos of me talking about them, go to Nikki Haley and see nothing. <laughs> yeah. Go to Asa Hutchins. I mean, I mean, I don't know what to say. It used to be, you know, Ken
Nixon would have policies they were running on. Kennedy, it wasn't that long ago, but why do people not have policies that they have to defend? I'm living in a time warp. I, I, I don't know if I'm going to get in a go-back go machine and hopefully and, and, and debate someone over some issue, but there doesn't seem to be anybody running on issues. People can check out your website, stevelaffey.com. That's S-T-E-V-E-L-A-F-F-E-Y. And right at the top, uh, the the third tab is uh, the issues. Yeah. And you got your issues covered, education, Federal Reserve, national debt, and and so forth, a, a lot of them. Which, uh, just to, just before I go to my next question, just to uh, uh, yeah. add to what you were saying earlier, why the young folks uh, are not talking about it is because they've been wrapped up with uh, other frivolous stuff, and that's where they've been caught up so that they don't have these kind of yeah. tough uh, question and answers Q&A with their moms and dads and, and figure out, about, hey, what's going to happen? Yeah. Uh, you also uh, talked about Federal Reserve that yeah. nobody talks about. No. Why do you think talking about a Federal Reserve system that is privately uh, held and has nothing to do with the people of America and, and, and yet controls our economics. What do you think is going on with the Federal Reserve and why do we need it? Well, one, we don't need it, but my initial plan is to simply change the Federal Reserve because I think it's a bridge too far to tell people we're not going to have one right now. Mm-hmm. I think eventually we won't have one, but my plan, and it's my plan, by the way, it's the only plan like this. I've always thought, and people should know that the Federal Reserve, would not get into when it was started, 19, whatever, but Around the late 60s, they came up with a dual, which means that the Federal Reserve not only is in charge of inflation and keeping it, they used to say zero, uh, I don't know how stable became 2%, that's their new mantra in the last eight years, but, uh, and by the way, 2% inflation means you lose your net, half your net worth in 35, but, um, but the dual mandate is impossible. So mentally, physically, uh, mathematically, it's impossible for the Fed to be concerned about keeping unemployment low and inflation at zero, let's say. So, but because they did that, and that was done, again, you'll never hear this from anybody but me, it was done to relieve pressure from Congress so that Congress would never have to balance the budget and and the Fed could actually, quote unquote, take care of it. But that was their job. That's why, right, I know. They've given their job to the Fed. The Fed, by the way, go to their website, see them talk about foreign policy, see them talk about climate change, see them talk about everything under the sun except money. They really don't talk about money. So so I tell people who took Algebra 1 or Algebra 2 and say, listen, remember there was like this trick question, go try to solve two equations with three unknowns. It's impossible. And there's an infinity answer, but, but basically it's impossible. And so it's the same thing with the Fed. They can't possibly do a good job. If we gave them the one mandate back again for the next 10 years, keep inflation at zero, they could do it. Now, I'm a populist conservative, and by populist, I mean that I believe normal people, the people you see in my movie, the average person running down the street. I'm not saying we want to put an average person running down the street who didn't go to nuclear engineering school in charge of a nuclear power plant. I'm not saying that. But common sense among my high school classmates, I could pick 17 of them. I know their names. They could run the Federal Reserve and keep inflation at zero. That can be done. It's not that hard. They try to make it sound so hard so that people have no understanding of what they're saying. They really do, by the way. And so now, if we changed it to inflation at zero and inflation inflation was at zero for 10 straight years, what would have to happen? Well, all of a sudden, you couldn't inflate away the, inflate away the problems. Like the, the Cong- Congress would have to start doing what I suggest they're doing, balancing the budget, because there'd be a run in the dollar if they didn't. They'd, they'd have to do their job. Now, would we have a couple of years of real pain doing this? Yes. This is no different than telling the people of Cranston, Rhode Island, in a microcosm, yeah. you're not going to like everything I have to do. But we have to do this for our children, because the only other way out of this, this gig, folks, is that you're sitting there listening to the show. You're 38 years old or whatever, give 10, 10 years, and you're going to get Social Security, and it's going to be $2,000 a month. It's just going to be $200 a month by the time you get there in real terms of what it buys. 
They have to keep inflation running longer and longer and longer to get, get out of this problem. Or we have to suffer some pain to stop it. And so that, so, so for example, one last thing about the Fed and, and what really runs the economy. Think about it. If you read the paper tomorrow, for example, any first year economic course would teach you that gross domestic product equals the summation of C, consumption, plus I, inflation uh, investment c gdp equals c consumption plus i investment plus g government spending plus x minus m which is our net exports which have been negative by the way another hmm. so we've been running on take two of the equations we're always concerned about a consumption because it's 70 percent of the economy roughly whatever but the but the export minus endpoint has is, is now been a, running at a negative one and a half percent per year for many years of our GDP. Why do you think we don't run GDP growth anymore at three or four percent or under Reagan at five percent? We don't do it because debt's too high and we have too many um, uh, too much too many imports from China. But the I is what I want to talk about: investment, investment, investment. That's what we need. And when you have inflation at zero with certainty. Hmm. And you're sitting in other countries and you say to yourself, wow, I got this great idea for this manufacturing plant. Yeah. Where should I put it? Well, I've got a 15% rate of return that I showed the investors, but why don't we put it in America? Because when I repatriate dollars back to J Japanese yen and the dollar is strong because Laffey's president, strong dollar Steve, let's call him, right? So, so if inflation's at zero, we have a strong dollar because we're paying off debt, we're le lessening our debt. All of a sudden, this guy says to his investors, if we locate in America, we're going to have an 18% return, 3% extra for the currency. That's how you get I to explode. That's how you bring back manufacturing jobs to America. And that's how we win, with I, not with C. So just to interrupt you, wasn't this how we did before? I mean, yes. the fact that I don't even – when did we get, become into a borrowing nation? Because this was one of the biggest manufacturing nations of the world yes. and uh, growing with their own revenue. What happened? It, well, what happened was, number one, uh, well, we can say it in different order, but Nixon going off the gold standard in 1971 with a speech that I urge everybody to watch. It's very short. Yeah. In the speech, Nixon says, if you don't leave America, you really won't notice. <laughs> it's the stupidest thing anybody has ever said, right? But he says it, and he gets away with it, and he gets reelected. And gold goes from $30 an ounce cause, because the gold standard was set up so that when we did bad things, spent too much, had, by the way, go back to textbooks, it's called guns and butter. We had a Vietnam War and we spent too much domestically with the war on poverty, let's say, right? Hmm. Then gold would leave the country and we had to stop spending so that people wouldn't want the gold because a dollar was backed by gold. We, we got off it and that was a disaster at higher inflation until Paul Volcker came in and crushed the economy twice two recessions to wring it out of our system. So that's what started to happen. In addition to that, Nixon opened up China, which was dumb, right? And, and so there we go with all this stuff about how can we get this stuff cheaper elsewhere rather than why don't we be an exporting nation still and keep manufacturing jobs? Yeah, because... Because when I was growing up, uh, I used to hear the Chinese saying that I want this product. This is made in America. This is going to last stronger. Yes. This tastes so good. It's fresh. It's pure. And now, just to save a couple of bucks, I would go for something that's crappier, would break down faster. I mean, that, that, isn't that bad mathematics? This is the rest of America. I'm globalcrossover.com and justicenews.net. Made in America. But I own three American-made cars, two Ford Expedition EL, a Max, and a Ford F-250. They're made in America. When I go to buy replacement tires, now, I don't care if it's made by Michelin or Goodyear. I have Michelins. But if you look in the side of a tire and it says, like, B6, I'm, I'm, I may be wrong with this, but that means it's made, like, in Mississippi. So you can go buy a Nissan car made in America. But, and by the way, I tell people, if you really want a Maserati and you're really rich, go, go buy one. I'm in Italy, whatever. I don't care. But try. Like you and I were going back and forth. I, my jeans I'm wearing right now are made by the All-American Clothing Company. And talk about better. The best thing I ever bought, and I can't find the company anymore, was called Kane 11, my socks. Almost all of my, my workout socks. 
and walk around socks are made in by Kane 11. I've had them for like six years. They seem to be brand new. Mm-hmm. They did they cost more. The other socks that people have, they wear after like three months. Yeah. So, so we should attempt to have a president who wears American made clothes, promotes American made things. We don't have a president like that at all. Yeah. Donald Trump never did this. Biden doesn't do it. I don't know why not. Why wouldn't he hold a press conference and say, listen, he has some money, obviously, and say, hey, by the way, just so you know, my suit's made by Hickey Freeman, made in New York. My, my ties that you see me on in these things, they're mostly made by bow ties in Vermont. My, my dress shirts are made by Alan Ed. I'm not trying to advertise for them, but no, no I know. Even I if, try. No. Hey, man, even if you do, what the heck? I mean, why not? We if People advertise all these crappy companies. Why can't you advertise good American companies? <laughs> That's true. I know. <laughs> right. But try. Why do, why, why do other candidates or other presidents or senators, why aren't they trying? I, I have no explanation for that. Because probably they're wearing something made in China or Ukraine. But uh, but it, it's a, uh, something that you just said a, a while back. Yeah, you, you talked about the Amish belts. I mean, imagine, <laughs> you know, I mean, yes. I mean, that was like the great. Isn't belt. that? That's and those are, and they're 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 really cool people when it comes to manufacturing. It's all furniture, yeah. clothing, and so many other things. But you're right about what you just said about the president. But but you brought up the president. What do you? How much? How much confidence do you have in the current U.S. president's cognitive abilities? None. I I I can't believe we're in a situation where. On any level, whether whether it's the the senator who's still alive from California, her name is I'm even forgetting, who 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 doesn't think straight, and and, and the Democrats won't say, hey, she shouldn't be in office, We're like you got to leave, or Feinstein, Feinstein, and um, or President Biden, he clearly is not up to the job. We're talking about the ruler, I shouldn't say the word ruler, but you're talking about the the leader mm-hmm. of of the free world can't keep it together for more than half an hour at a time. And and the only reason I think that people aren't really after this is that the vice president may be worse, even though she has all the facilities. Mm-hmm. I mean, it may be worse. She, she was in charge of the border security, never went, never even goes to, I don't have to say about the poor lady. I mean, I don't have to say about a person. We live in a world where Nelson Rockefeller couldn't be president because he was divorced. Mm. years ago, not that long ago, you know, 50 years ago, whatever it was. And yet we have a vice president who announces that, yeah, she started her career by sleeping with the mayor of San Francisco to get a good job. I, I, I mean, we we hear this stuff and we're like, not, no one's appalled. Yeah. <laughs> no one's appalled by what's going on. But the president's cognitive ability is, is, is not enough to be the president of the United States. It's not enough to be in charge of a lemonade stand. I, I'm not making fun of Joe Biden. God bless him. He's been around a long time. But the problem with this country is that look at the last elections, except for Obama, which is a one-off situation, Mm -hmm. right, that we had to have a black president. It generally from the Bush, son of a Bush, who I didn't think was a very good president, and I've met him and I met his father. I went to the opening of the the Bush library. He couldn't have been a nicer guy. He's a very nice guy, not really qualified to be president. And it got worse, in my humble opinion. So – this, this is where we are. We've had four presidents in a row that continually, I think, get worse. <laughs> and and I don't know what to say about it, because how could we be like that except we live in what I would call celebrity nation? So few people paying attention that no matter how much money is spent on any of these elections, the vote will change by maybe half a percent mm. by the end of the general election. Yeah. When you think about it, right? Yeah. A billion dollars spent to change the election because people are just set in their ways. They're not paying attention. Many people don't who vote don't know who the president is. I meet these people mm-hmm. and the nation has changed. And that's why when you see. So. So here's the thing. I just gave earlier 13 percent of the kids in public schools are proficient in civics. Mm-hmm. 13. What's it going to look like in 10 years? Zero, probably. It's going to look worse. Yeah, it's gonna work. and you say to yourself, "How could it be worse?" Yeah, but it, it looks like it will be worse unless, unless, and I say this less than humbly, unless I'm the president and promote this because my program for public schools is to end the public school system. I can't do it by myself. I, I don't think we've had a candidate uh, 
who talked about these things in the recent years uh, other than uh, uh, useless things that they've been talking about, which leads me to my next uh, uh, question. Uh, what do you think about um, the your your competitors from the Republican Party who are running for U.S. presidency? Well, I, I'm embarrassed, and I don't really know what to say. If we've never had an election. Just take it by... You know, we have Donald Trump, who continues to get stronger because I've been blackballed by some people to get into the news, I think. But we're getting there, by the way, with certain networks. It's happening. But when you think about who's running, you think, okay, so when has there ever been a time where the governor of Florida, he's 33 percent in the polls. When he gets going, he's now 17. That's never happened. And And no one makes a comeback from that. He's made terrible mistakes. His issues are an anti-woke society. And for example, when SVB Bank went broke, he knowingly said that it went broke because it was woke. That was a lie. It used to be that would disqualify you. SVB Bank went broke because it mismatched assets and liabilities in the duration over time. And that's it. That's why they all go broke, folks. That's why, that's why everybody broke. goes broke. Yeah. <laughs> and so that combined with having too much debt due tomorrow, not necessarily too much debt. Exxon's always had too much debt. They just didn't, never had it due tomorrow the way Chesapeake Energy did. And that's why Chesapeake Energy went broke. But then you have the thing about, just take Ron DeSantis again. So Tucker Carlson is on Fox News and he asked these six questions to people about Ukraine. One of them is a, is a bold-faced lie, whether you are for, you know, helping Ukraine or not. Kowtowing to, to Tucker Carlson because you think he's powerful is not a good thing. Mm. So like question five that Tucker asked to uh, read, Tuck, read uh, Ron DeSantis' uh, and read uh, you know, Vivek's answers. Given that Russia's economy and currency is stronger than before the war, do you believe that the U.S. sanctions have been effective? And I wrote back to Tucker Carlson, who won't publish what I wrote, I don't know this to be true. <laughs> the most optimistic GDP growth rate for Russia in 2022 seems to be negative 2.5%. And naturally, the, they've tried to keep the, the ruble to the U.S. dollar at the same level, not stronger. That's because they put interest rates up to 20 percent. But looking out three months later, the ruble has collapsed 30 percent. But no one seems to care. So you, then you take Mr. Vivek. Here's a man who's spending his own money. God bless him. These are the things that need to be changed, by the way, in our, in our, in our laws. Um, and I'll tell you about that if you want. But um, but here's a man who, who really seems to have no empathy for people and loves Donald Trump and actually sends letters around to people demanding that they sign off on parting Donald Trump, a man they're running against for president. This seems to be uh, the bizarro world turned upside down. It's like a Seinfeld episode. What are you talking about? You're, you're running against this person now. Then you take Vice President Pence, who literally sold his soul to be vice president because he knew that budget deficits were coming. Here's a Congressman Pence, back in the day, look it up, tried to shut down the government to balance the budget. Mm-hmm. Then becomes vice president and says, well, quote, we're going for growth, end quote. Mm-hmm. And runs up $8 trillion of debt in four years when every conservative like myself went after Obama for running up $8 trillion in eight years. He doubled in... <laughs> Eight trillion in four years, and we're supposed to like, like want these people to be reelected, like Trump or, or. By the way, the other thing about Pence, there's never been a vice president running for president who starts at seven percent and just stays there. What is he doing in the race? I'd much rather be me. See, I'm I'm actually not in the polls yet. I will be, but one day you're going to see Laffy one percent. Who's Laffy? And then I'll be three. But as I say on TV, do you think that Nixon in 60 as vice president started off at seven? No, he was 50. Mm-hmm. What about the senior Bush in 1988? Do you think he was at seven? No, he was at 50, to be rough with the numbers. Mm-hmm. Then you work your way down to Nikki Haley. By the way, look at, look at, go, everybody should analyze why is that person running for president? Nikki Haley is running for president. She says it a hundred times. She said it last week. I'm running for president, she says, because I'm the daughter of immigrants. Indian immigrants. I'm like, okay, that's not really a, okay, keep going, Nikki. And then she says, and my, (laughs) then she says, my daughter is having trouble buying a home. I'm like, "Uh, okay, I don't know more about that. Keep going. And then she says, my son is writing woke papers to get A's in college. This is the rest of America on globalcrossover.com and justicenews.net.
with Iman Siddiqui in Washington, D.C. You're listening to a conversation with the former mayor of Cranston, Rhode Island, Steve Laffey, the Republican presidential candidate for 2024. And I'm like, that's why you're running for president? Are you, is it, did the world end? Am I living in another world? It's a side trick. Is this, is this the Matrix? Am I, did I just like whip into another dimension on a Star Trek episode? I, I mean, these aren't reasons to run for president. Now, she started at seven. Today, she's three. Yeah. Now, that's because she has no reason to run for president. By the way, she loves the president, too. He, she gave her a job. I think a lot of have this uh, idea that maybe probably if they do that, and uh, they might be picked up as vice presidents because they know they, they don't have a shot. Yes. But they might be in the good book so they can be picked up. Yes. But you touched on something really, uh, uh, something really important. I, my last article was uh, about the empathy of Americans. And yeah. the people that I spoke to and I interviewed, uh, they said this. I asked them that uh, the world had known Americans to be one of the most empathetic people in the world. And despite the indiscriminate bombing and what have you, they're still the first ones to help out people anywhere in the world, whenever you have disasters, anything like that. The, 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 they're always there for a helping hand uh, to help out people. What, why do you think, what do you think happened and why do you think it's going away? And in, in that article, uh, what I wrote, what people told me was that most of Americans were brought up with with the Gospels and the Bible yeah. and, and, and compassion and empathy and the fear of God. This country had that, people had that, and it showed. Yeah. And now it's going away, and thus the compassion and the empathy is going away because Americans, mm-hmm. they say that it's one nation under God, but the government sounds like it's one nation under the Satan. What do you think about that? Yes, I am an I am an evangelical Christian, and I do see where I, from when I was a kid to today, a lot less empathy. And I think that, say, Donald Trump and Vivek uh, Ramaswamy show the lack of empathy that uh, for people. I mean, and it gets at any issue you want to talk about. You know, my reason for running is that well, I'm a financial crisis, I'm a financial expert, and we've got to help enlarge the middle class. That means getting people out of poverty. And I don't see anybody talking about, there's not one candidate talking about getting people out of poverty to get them into the middle class. I I, I can't, I can't even understand it because it doesn't make sense. This is why we would run for president. I have a very specific proposal is why I'm running for president. And, and, and I can't even repeat why Ramaswamy is running for president. I can't repeat it. I, I don't, I don't know how to say it. It's so convoluted about the founding fathers and so that, but we've got to get people out of poverty, enlarge the middle class, make it 65% of the country again, so we can have a stable country. This is what we unite Democrats and Republicans over. But yes, with less people in church and less people, you know, having d- d- leads directly to people having less empathy for others. And I, I mean, I listen, I am not the most empathetic person. I am not Mother Teresa. I, I, I think more people can pull themselves up by the bootstraps um, than, than they do. I Don't get me wrong. I don't like laziness. I like people to be on time. I, you know, these things. But, but we, we will always have the poor with us. We're always going to take care of special needs kids. We're always going to take care of our Down syndrome people. Um, but the lack of empathy for even what happens around the world. And I'll give you an example. I mean, one of the real examples is immigration. Now, I'm against illegal immigration, and I think people who are here illegally will have to leave. Absolutely. I I never make any bones about that, but that doesn't mean I vilify people trying to come here. There, but for the grace of God, go me, Mm. go go I. But I also think since I've been to Guatemala, and I haven't told you about my trip across the border into Mexico, which was a dangerous sort of situation with Dr. Robin Hoover, a Christian pastor, but it's written up in Nation Magazine, and after I went to Guatemala and I went down to Mexico, and I went with a, uh, Julio from Rhode Island and, and David Kiara, and we went across the border with a pastor because it was the only way we were going to be safe. I had to stand next to him. We went into Altar, Mexico, and here's a bus. Uh, as long as I live, let me just tell you, a bus pulls up. People get off the bus. They start calling to find coyotes or what they're doing, they're getting money wired or whatever they're doing. I go to the Catholic Church and visit with the, the priest. And he's explained to me what people are about to do to go across the border. 
And then there's a pregnant lady with a little baby, a little baby, a little kid, about four years old, holding the hand. And she's starting to walk. She has no coyote. She's just going to walk. She's like 20, 30 miles south of Mexico. I'm in Mexico. I'm not like watching it from the board. I'm in Mexico. I noticed that all the cars that I see in Mexico in, in, in people's homes are all are all Chrysler minivans. I, I kid you not. And I'm like, why does everybody have a Chrysler minivan? Well, this lady starts walking. I'm like to Dr. Robin Hoover, can we help her? He says, no. If we help her, you're going to get killed. And I'm like, oh. I said, this is the deal. You can come with me. You can stand next to me. I'm not going to kill this today. I don't think. <laughs> so, so, so Dr. Robin Hoover... We, we leave there. We get back a little bit ways where people stop and the Mexican police are there showing people, handing them a card saying, if you go across the border, you know, when you get stopped, raise your hands. And in these minivans are 15 people that hold seven. So cars that hold seven, Chrysler, they're all old Chrysler minivans, and there's 15 people in each one. I'm like, oh my gosh. Now, there's this young Asian girl by herself, teen. I'm like, doctor, Robin, Robin, what's going to, yes. Stephen, you can't even go over there. We got to take her. He's like, we can't. We're we all die. Then he says to me, look down. Don't look. To it. And three or four cars are going by. They have darkened windows because I kind of glance, even though he says, look down. he says, those people have machine guns. Those people don't even look at. They know who I am. They're going to go by. We're going to be okay. But don't look at them. And I don't really, effectively. That's the situation at the border. So when I say to people, this is horrific, why aren't we spending time helping the people of Nicaragua or the people of Guatemala have a real democracy like we helped Japan after World War II? Why aren't we focused? When was the last time you picked up a newspaper and instead of the Palestinians, I'm not trying to make fun of Palestinians, right? And I think in the Middle East, mm. when was the last time you picked up an article that was about countries to our South? Never. Why can't we have a leader who says, I'm going to El Salvador today to meet with the president. By the way, when I was in, when I was in Guatemala, I sat in Clinton's chair in Antigua, Guatemala. They said the last elected official to come to this country was President Clinton. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Where's the mayor of Miami? Where's the you know, yeah. people who speak Spanish? And this, I was the only person who had been to the mayor of little old Cranston, Rhode Island, giving away, helping give away. By the way, when I went down to, to Guatemala, they had a whole big festival and, you know, the, the, the firemen came over and gave me hugs, and we I have videos of this stuff where we're hosing down fire engines. That's exactly what was needed, right? I mean, that's how uh, the leader of America should be—that he he's taking care of his people, and he's taking care of his neighbors, and everyone is living happily. That's how it should have been. Yeah. What happened? I mean, what if on a nationwide basis we were giving old uh, fire engines to Guatemala to to, to to countries so they and, and having our firemen go down there and help them. Uh, get people put out fires and train. Yeah, and, I, mean, I mean, just as a thing that people are like, wow, Americans are helping. Yeah, and create more employment opportunities. What if it was that people didn't want to leave their country because their GDP per capita was actually growing? Yeah, uh, why wouldn't we try to help rather than always vilify? Now, I'm against illegal immigration. I always, <laughs> and I and I think the people here illegally have to go back. Absolutely, and we have to have a whole new system put in place. But that doesn't mean we say people, you know, are terrible people. Hmm. I mean, we don't say that. Now, I'll give you an example. Dr. Robin Hoover had a great idea about getting people. He said, listen, here's my idea. And by the way, I thought it was a good idea. Generally speaking, people come to the border. We know who they are. We line them up. We say, Julio, you and your guys are going to go pick strawberries in Florida for six months or, or in California? Great. So part of, we, have, we organize with the employer. We're keeping 15% of your money here at the border. Not, not literally, you know, in a bank. And when you come back, we give you the money. You go back home and bring it back to your people. We need some people to pick strawberries. That, would, be, that would make him go yes, back. Of course. That would make him come right. to the border. We are, that was his idea. Again, I don't have any really good ideas, it seems like. But, 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 but I keep ideas that are really good. That's what I do. And that's a great idea. Now, it would be complicated. Would it take time? Of course it would. But would, what if we were really organizing for the people that we needed to do seasonal work, this and that, whatever it would be, and treated them, and we knew who they were, and they had special IDs, and they came in, and we took them lawfully to pick strawberries. And they got plenty of water to drink and didn't die in the desert. And that would be better because no one really argues that we don't need some people coming in. And, and I've always thought this, this is one of my pet peeves in life, too, about 
Democrats wanting all this illegal immigration because they think they're all going to be Democratic voters. I'm like, yeah. I've been down there. These people love Jesus. They they want their kids to be educated. Seems like they it seems like they're going to be Republicans when they move here. <laughs> so so I don't know if that's really happening yet, but these people want to work. They want to move up socially, and and that's why unfortunately a welfare system combined with illegal immigration or too much immigration doesn't work. Yeah. You know, it doesn't work because if people had to come here and say, yes, we're never going to get any welfare for our families and so forth, and we can't be eligible for anything the way it was, you'd have a different crew of people coming. Yeah. I mean, it took uh, me and my family uh, a lot of time to become citizens. We went through the process. We were patient. We put in our dues and we waited. And uh, by the grace of God, we got it. Yeah, And it just hurts me to see that a lot of people can just bypass and don't even have the skills that God gave us to bring uh, here and apply them here to help other people out. Because the skills that I have are not mine. They're given to me by my, my, by my Lord, and they will, they will be gone back when I die. So might as well share them with the people that I know. But unfortunately, it doesn't happen like that. Yeah. But what I wanted to say to you is that yeah. out of the 350 million people, about 180 million are registered voters, but we don't even have a record of all these registered voters ever voting. The maximum they would go is 70, 80, or maybe 100 million. Yeah. So what it leaves us is about 150 million people who are potential voters for someone like you. So the question is that why can't people like yourselves and like-minded people like yourselves from any party, and especially here I'm talking about your party, Republican Party, why can't they all get together instead of putting up their own uh, shops? Why why can't they put their resources and efforts together and collectively come up with a powerful consortium that will go out and connect with those hundreds of millions of Americans? Then you don't even need your mainstream networks or any lobbyists to help you win elections. Yes, it's a good question. I, I for the life of me, have been confounded by the fact that people don't vote, that even within my Christian community, even at every church I go to, find half the people there don't vote. We know that half of the evangelical Christians don't vote, and I have no understanding. Um, I meet these people all the time, by the way, at churches I go to and churches I go to now, and it it, it just it flummoxes. It's it's the most confounding thing that I've tried to figure out and get around and successful. I don't know if it's simply that people aren't going to vote because they're just not going to vote. But again, when I take the Christian communities of America, we know that half of them don't vote. We also know that most of the pastors won't speak from the pulpit because they're intimidated by the Johnson Amendment, which doesn't really pass any constitutional scrutiny, and no one's been taken into account for it, by, but, and they won't speak about particular candidates. Even in Rhode Island, when I was running for the Senate, literally, well, I wouldn't say there was a couple of Christian pastors who did speak about me specifically. I was the only pro-life person running for the United States Senate, but it was a Catholic priest, Father Donnelly, who had me as a kid, you know, at St. Paul's Church, uh, when I grew up Catholic, who actually said, I don't care what they say. We're voting for Laffey. We're voting for Steve Laffey. <laughs> and so, and so we need Christian leaders to just violate the Johnson Amendment and say, sue me, which some do, but all of them need to do it and say, we're not being kowtowed anymore. You need to vote. We need to have, we need to have people involved. If it started in that community, which is the community that would save America by voting, we wouldn't have these problems. If all Christians voted in all elections, we wouldn't have a split Senate. We'd have a majority Republicans. Do you think that it, it, one of the reasons is because they don't want to choose from lesser of the two evils? I don't know. I, do, I, I really, I am, I, I've done this for a long time. I've talked to people about it. I asked people about it. I don't think I have a great answer. I, I don't know. Most things I do know. <laughs> this one, I, I am as confounded and as perplexed yeah. as I've ever been about any subject because it would seem that no matter what I do or what other people try to do, I've had pastors trying to do this who go from church to church, who have prayer stuff in Washington, D.C. And we still can't get it done. I mean, it can be done. I, 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 what I faced is, uh, I can only tell you about what I did. Like, a lot of people criticized me for not voting last time. And I said, oh, you, you, they were saying, Imran, you're wasting your vote. You should have exercised it. And I said, 
I'm not going to vote for a lesser of the two evils. Yes, I agree That's with just that. That's going to happen. Uh, I, vote, I voted for, for uh, Bernie Sanders, which was a mistake. And after that, I just lost trust. And mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that if there is, for example, if there's a across the 50 states is a roadshow campaign where Steve Laffey is out there and people hear about Steve Laffey and the churches and mosques and synagogues and what have you connect with him and say that, hey, you know, uh, I mean, this guy is just making sense that would help other people. I think maybe then people will see. I think a lot of it also has to do with how much of the media blocks candidates like you, yes. the mainstream dying legacy media, which has only 500,000 eyeballs or maybe a million. And the internet would have more, but I understand the importance of broadcast networks. You can never compete with them as far as the mindset uh, of the populace comes in. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the reasons is because people uh, don't know. People are, you know, one company owns, owns, one or two companies own all radio TV networks, and radio FM, AM included, are one of the most powerful sources uh, to reach people. This this facade of social media and buying likes and followers doesn't mean anything. You just need a hundred people, good people, to rally behind you, rather than a million bad people who sit at their homes yeah. and, and watch cable news and really don't go out there to do anything. I agree with you. Not voting for the least worst candidate. I agree with you, and that's why I publicly said I never voted for. Um, Donald Trump. In 2016, I wrote in Larry Kotlikoff, who was a writing candidate, the, the guy who has a social security program. And in 2020, I wrote in my own name. I, I couldn't <laughs> vote for either. The people. Now, doesn't mean I didn't vote for the city council race, but I, and I vote in every election. But I will not vote for the least worst candidate. Yeah. Uh, I won't, And I say to people, listen, I'm more of a Calvin Coolidge conservative. If you run up $8 trillion debt in four years, I am never voting for you. Like, and by the way, this, when I tell this to people, when I talk about Donald Trump, and again, not about like hating Donald Trump or this or that, but when I say to people about the $8 trillion in debt, and then I bring up the PPP program and said he signed it, which was $800 billion of complete waste, and then I add in about the student loan mm. um, non-repayment or the putting it in abeyance for a while, I said, Donald Trump did that. That happened... In 2020, now Biden made it worse. He went to the Supreme Court. He lost. I get it, but it was Donald Trump who told people to stop, who who allowed people to stop paying their student loans. Republicans do this all the time, and then Democrats make it worse. But the, I would say that the real thing that that really happens and why people feel disconnected. Take one issue: student loan debt, mm. and take what happened with the Supreme Court decision a couple of weeks ago. And I was on with Chris Cuomo. Uh, and talked about the solutions. But it was a very, it's a very interesting thing for people to watch. If you go to my website, watch me on with Chris Cuomo. But what I would say about it is that I provide the top of my head like seven solutions student loan debt. One, stop the parent plus loans in time. It, 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 it allows upper middle class parents, middle class parents, to go so much into debt Seriously. and allows colleges to keep raising tuition. So if people don't know what a parent plus loan is. It's simply this. Your kid grows up in Colorado, wants to go to Nebraska because they like the football team. And you say, okay, instead of paying $11,000 in tuition at CSU, like I do with my kids, we haven't got to my kids yet. We should. And what I do about education, but so they go off to $50,000 at at Nebraska for the same quality education. Yeah. You pay four times as much, which we shouldn't fund at all. We shouldn't fund people crossing state lines unless it's a particular major like you have a kid who wants to go to UCAL Polytech because he wants to build airplanes. Yeah. Right. And by the way, why would we not change how much we would loan people if we're going to loan anything from the federal government to be one times their starting salary? So, for example, you're going to get out of uh, an engineering course at MIT and you're going to start at $80,000. Well, one times your salary, we could loan you. If that's the average, we could do that. If you're majoring in anthropology at something, something state, and you're going to start off at 23000 we can run you 23000 But you have people majoring anthropology with $100,000 of loans. But the parent plus loan means that no matter what happens, your daughter gets into to New York, NYU, and you find all these scholarships, it's a great student, and you still loan $30,000, and the kid turns to the mom and dad, 
or the mom or whatever and says, you know, when the mom says, okay, I'll sign off on these $30,000 of loans. Now, that person may be making 80 grand. And all of a sudden, they stop down the loan process of because they don't care what you make. As long as you haven't gone bankrupt, they'll loan you 30 grand. Then they'll loan you 30 and 35 and 40. And four years of college with one kid, you have $100,000 of loans. You're the parent. Yeah. And that person turns 65 and can't retire because they can't pay that loan. It's gone. It's over. Why do we have it? It's totally. So I did. So even at the top of my head, I can give seven solutions. Here's the problem. I give these seven solutions. I'm on TV with Chris Cuomo. By next Wednesday, no Republican candidate has given any solutions for student loan debt, which runs at $1.7 trillion and growing faster than we can count. This, this fall, everybody's going off to college. They're going to take out parent plus loans. They're going to cross state lines and borrow more than they should. Uh, the colleges are not on the hook for any of the loan repayments, whether you're Harvard with $50 billion of endowment, which you don't need to be involved in any of this stuff, or a really terrible college that's not educating kids. They, they don't have to pay. They're not on the hook for any of the loan, right, the college itself. It's just going to continue like this fall. This is what breaks my heart. This is why I'm running. No other candidate has a program to even stop it, to, to halt it, except me. And here I am trying to get it out. I do one show and then all of a sudden the news cycle turns to cocaine in the White House and a heat wave in the South. Yeah. It, it, there's no stopping to like solve a problem. Yeah, which is, which is, uh, I mean, uh, that, you, what you just mentioned about the cocaine incidents and <laughs> this is, this is what goes on now instead of talking about uh, how to help American people that run America then to, you know, the headline uses cocaine in the White House. Welcome to Global Crossover, the intersection of peace. This is Intersections. Global Crossover, people, energy, and geopolitics. Globalcrossover.com